As I thought about the holidays, I thought about the fact that even as we get into Mark chapter 1, the holidays tend to be busy times, don't they? Any of you not busy over the holidays? You know, I, I give you something to do. Come see me. They're busy times. Life just seems to get busier and busier. And every time I think I'm going to have time, I took a book with me to Buffalo thinking, oh, when my grandkids are napping, I'll have time. I didn't have any time. I never opened it up. You know, I, I kept thinking I'm going to have time to do this and time to do that. And my whole life revolves around the things I think I can get done, but things are so busy. And when we look at Mark chapter 1, there's some lessons for us about priorities, no matter how busy life gets. Was Jesus Christ ever busy? And I love Mark again. We've talked about it, but Mark is always, Christ is going, 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 going in the book of Mark. He was in Matthew and Luke and John too. But Mark really highlights all the things that Jesus is doing and all the movement that's going on. And he's constantly saying immediately this happens and immediately that happened. And Christ keeps moving. And if you think you're busy, read Mark chapter 1 again. As we get to Mark chapter 1, verse 29 this morning, we are coming off the heels of verses 21 through 28 that we talked about last week. And Christ has been in the synagogue. He's been teaching all morning. In the midst of that, he gets interrupted by a demon-possessed man, and he casts out the demon, and he continues working with the folks there. And uh, probably about noon was when the synagogue services ended. They got up, and we get to verse 29, and we read this. And immediately he left the synagogue. And he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. As we look at this busy life of Christ, he spent all morning ministering. And now, in the afternoon, he's going to the home of Simon and Andrew. And that ought to be an opportunity for him to catch his breath. It ought to be an opportunity for him to kind of regroup after a busy morning of ministry. And as they get there, we're going to find Simon and Andrew have different things on the agenda than Jesus had on his. And not only that, but we're going to see his schedule just keeps on moving. It keeps on going. It doesn't get any less busy as he's going through all these things. And there's some questions I want us to ask ourselves as we look at this passage this morning. Because there are questions that we need to not only ask ourselves of how did Jesus handle this, but again, as our Lord and Master, as we walk in his steps, how are we supposed to handle these things? Number one, in the midst of a very busy schedule, what were Jesus' priorities? What did he make time for regardless of what was happening? Number two, how did he stay focused on what was truly important? Again, I've shared with you, I've got this book. It's, it's a book where I keep all my to-do list stuff in it. Every Monday morning, actually usually on Sunday, I try to sit down and say, what do I need to accomplish this week? And then I, I did all this time management stuff. So now I open it up and on Monday I write, these are the things I'm going to do on Monday. And these are the things I'm going to do on Tuesday. And I get organized for my whole week on Monday morning. And I'm so proud of myself at the end of that. My week is ready to go. But my week's not always God's week. And there are going to be things that are going to interrupt those things. And when they do, how do we stay focused on what is truly important? And the second question is, what on your list isn't what is truly important that can be set aside when God brings the truly important into our lives? And how do we react to that? 
Again, pastoring has been a very interesting, stretching experience. I grow, I learn all the time. Because I love to get stuff done on my to-do list. Half the reason I write it is so I can check stuff off, because then I feel very satisfied. I got that done. I got this done. Oh, I didn't get that done. But what happens when you're right in the middle of getting the last thing done in the day, and suddenly you hear somebody come through the door, and they stick their head in the doorway of your office, and they say, hey, pastor, are you busy? Now, when you ask that question, do you really care? You know, when I ask, are they busy? It's like, what I'm really saying is, hi, I'm here to interrupt you, so put it down. You know, that's what we're doing. And the problem is, is that okay with you? For a long time, I had, to, I had to struggle. I had to argue with God. God, you know I had one more thing to do. You know, why didn't you let them come a half an hour later? And we're going to see in the life of Jesus Christ that no matter what Christ is doing, he stays focused on what's truly important. This incident is happening in the midst of a day. You could really look at, at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through about 45 and say, a day in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, Mark doesn't actually label it that way, but if we look at what happened, it starts in the beginning of the day as they go to the synagogue and they they take care of what really needs to be done in the beginning of the day, all the way to the end of the day when Jesus Christ is healing and he heals a leper and he does all of these things. And from start to finish, Jesus is on the go. So how do we figure out in the midst of all that, how to to use our time? Our our time is really a zero-sum game. You know, when you waste an hour of time, you never get it back. You think you're going to catch up. Do you ever get an extra hour to catch up? Now, once a year, they turn the clocks back, but I sleep during that hour. So when we waste time or when we're not focused on what we ought to be doing, we don't get things done the way we need to. So let's look at what Jesus Christ did, starting in verse 29. It says, immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the home of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And probably the idea was there was, all right, well, let's go have a meal at Peter and Andrew's home. And there'll be folks there that'll fix us the meal, and we'll be taken care of there. And so they left the synagogue, and immediately that's where they went. And now it now says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told, her about, told him about her. Number one in Jesus' priorities, people. Jesus Christ always had time for people. People who would interrupt his schedule. People who would come, we're going to see, as we look through this, all times of the day and night. And not only just out in public where he could gain notoriety working with people. He goes to Peter and Andrew's home. Peter, Andrew, James and John, a few others that might be in the house, are the only ones who are really privy to what's about to happen. And they get to the home, and the mother-in-law is, and all mother-in-law jokes aside, Peter loves his mother-in-law, okay? And, and they get there, and Peter and Andrew have decided that Jesus needs to know about this. Why? They've only spent a little bit of time with Jesus, but what have they found out? Very, very quickly. Jesus has sovereign control over everything. He can heal. He can cast out demons. And so his mother-in-law is laying ill with a fever. Now, if you look over to Luke chapter 4, it says, Luke, who was a physician, he'll give you a little bit more detail than Mark will. Luke said she had a high fever. So she was in bed and couldn't get out. And again, this is, not, this is not American husbands, okay? Let's just put it that way. When American husbands get sick, what happens? Life just shuts it. When I get sick, I'm laying in bed and I'm moaning and groaning and the whole world's supposed to revolve around me. When mama gets sick, that's a whole different story. It's like, are you going to get up and make dinner? You know, I, I, I know you're not feeling well, but how bad can it be? And, 
I think because that's the kind of society that they lived in here. When you were the matriarch and you were having company, this is a big deal. And so the mother-in-law isn't in bed unless she has no other choice. She is so sick she can't get out of bed. Her health is probably to the point where they're concerned about is she going to make it. And so Andrew and Peter talk to Jesus about her. Now, Jesus has been busy all day. He's been teaching. He's been casting out demons. It's lunchtime. Shouldn't he get a break? And look at, look at what he does. Because it's a lesson for us in divine appointments as God brings them along our way. It says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now, he said, okay, well, let's have dinner, and I'll go in and see what I can do. Is that how Jesus reacts? They immediately tell him about her, and it says, verse 31, and he came, and he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her. I I love the way, and there's an interesting principle as we look at this, that Luke tells that story. Because he adds one thing to it. You remember when Jesus was in the synagogue? And in the middle of his message, the demon-possessed man stands up and the demon interrupts his message. And Jesus Christ did what? Says he rebuked him. Because what Mark is doing is showing us the authority of verse 1, the Son of God, and how it works in his ministry, and how he's in sovereign control of all things, even the demons. And when we look at Luke chapter 4, it says he took her hand and he rebuked The fever, and the fever left her. Why does Luke tell us that? Because he's telling us the story of a God who's in control of all things. And you've got this demon who is opposing the work of God, and Jesus Christ rebukes him, and it's not like, is it going to work or does it? Won't it? It works because of who he is. He is the son of God. Mark is building a case around verse 1 now. When he comes across a demon-possessed man, he rebukes him, and the demon leaves. He didn't like leaving. He convulsed the guy as he was leaving. He gave a great cry. He kind of had a toddler temper tantrum, but he left. And now you have disease. The result of sin in our world. God didn't create us to have disease. That's that's the result of sin. That, you know, one day there's going to be no disease. You know, all of you that are keeping the healthcare system going by going to your doctor every three or four days with something new ailment, that's all going to be gone one day. And Jesus Christ looks at this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, who's lying ill on the bed. She's so weak she can't get up and take care of her company. He raises her up and he rebukes the fever. And the scripture tells us what? The fever left her, and here's Mark's favorite word again, immediately. When Jesus Christ works, he has the power to do things when and where and exactly at the timing that he needs to do that and that he wants to do that. And it's, ama- it's amazing when we read this. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and they told him about her. And he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her. And don't miss the end of that. What does the end of verse 30 say there? He took her, or 31. He took her up, he, he took her, lifted her up, the fever left her, and what? She served them. How many of you have been sick with a cold and fever? I mean, I got a little bit of a cold. I, I was miserable last night. I, I was American husband miserable last night. You know, just laying there. I'm dying because I have a cold, you know. And, and here's this woman. She gets up, and when Jesus Christ heals her, she doesn't take three days to get her strength back. How many of you had COVID and went through that? And, and it took weeks, days or weeks. When Jesus Christ rebuked that disease, he left her, and she had full energy. She got up, and she served them. And again, it's in keeping with Mark's whole theme of the book. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. 
And when he touches a life, what happens? Service takes place. And so here's this woman who gets up, and the fever's rebuked. It leaves her, and effect immediately, she gets up, and she serves. No recovery period, no symptoms hanging on, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And Mark is going to continue teaching us about that. So Jesus Christ had time for people. He didn't have the powers of being in the synagogue, throw that man out who was demon-possessed. He threw the demon out. He didn't say, well, you know, your mother-in-law, she'll be okay. Just let her lay there for 10 days. You know how those fevers work, and she'll be fine. He went in and took care of it. And you look and say, that's amazing that Jesus Christ, with all he had to do, takes the time to heal one person's mother-in-law behind the scenes. But that's the heart of Jesus Christ. It ought to be our heart. Are you willing to serve when nobody else knows what happened? We we know now, now that Mark wrote it down. But there's no indication here that that word ever got around what happened to Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus Christ wasn't doing it for notoriety. He was doing it because he cared about people. Second priority as we look at this, not only that, but Jesus cares about multitudes of people. Again, some of you are extroverts, and you just love people, and you love people around all the time, and you're okay with it. Some of you are more introverted, a little bit more like me. And there's a time when you get to the end of the day, and what do you want? I just want to be alone. I want some quiet. I want some peace and quiet. Now, the Sabbath is taking place, so they've been busy all morning. They've been, Jesus has been teaching all morning. He's been casting out demons. He goes for lunch, and he ends up healing Peter's mother-in-law. And now, as they get to the end of dinner, and the sun is setting, it's time to just relax. It's time to be alone at home and catch your breath. And we read verse 32, and what do we find out about Jesus and his ministry to people? That that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city gathered by the door. So here's Jesus, end of a long day, and suddenly the Sabbath is over, the sun has set, he's ready to... Relax, and what happens? Now, why did the whole city come to his door after sunset? I didn't get the whole gist of that until I thought about it. The Sabbath was over. If you had sick friends who couldn't get there by themselves, now it was legal to carry them there. You could do whatever journey you needed to do to get there because the Sabbath was over. So the Sabbath was over for them, but the ministry wasn't over for Jesus Christ. And the whole city comes. And it's interesting, even the tenses of the the verbs in Greek there, the idea is there, these needy streams of people just kept coming and coming and coming. It's time for relaxation. It's time to take a step back. And yet Jesus Christ, it says, what about this? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many devils and many demons. And the interesting thing about this whole ministry with Jesus Christ. Luke puts it again. Luke adds so many great details to the stories that we're reading here in Mark. But Luke says it this way. He says, and he touched each one and he healed them. When the whole city is outside of the home of Peter and Andrew, could not Jesus Christ have come to the door and said, by the power vested in me by the Father, be healed. And every one of them would have been healed and could have gone home. But what did Jesus Christ do? End of the day. And the interesting thing is, Mark doesn't tell us how long this took. 
He had a physical touch on everyone who came to that door. And he healed them. And Luke tells us he healed everyone that came to the door. He didn't say, okay, guys, till 8 o'clock I'm going to do this. And when it hits 8 o'clock, you guys need to go home. Every person that came, Jesus Christ reached out and he touched their lives. And he changed their lives. He cast out demons. He healed disease. He took care of everyone who came. And the interesting thing, again, in the midst of all that, He's casting out demons. Remember the demon in the synagogue? What did he say about Jesus Christ? You're the Holy One of God. And what did Christ say to him? He rebuked him and said, you can't be talking about that. Now he's casting out demons. And evidently they were trying to do the same thing. And Jesus would not permit them to speak. Why not? Isn't it great advertisement for him that they're letting everybody know that he's the Son of God? But... A part of it is that's not where he wants the advertising from. And part of it is Jesus Christ wasn't there to set up a spectacle and get a following by healing everybody. That was the manifestation of his power. That was the outgrowth of his compassion on the folks that were there. But he wasn't there to have a healing ministry just so he could gather a following. And is he gathering a following already? He casts out one demon in the synagogue in the morning, and by 6 o'clock at night, the whole city's at his door. If he can do that, imagine what else. And I don't, maybe the whole story about Peter's mother-in-law had gotten out. It was a Sabbath. They shouldn't have been gossiping about it. But you know, and maybe that had gotten out. But whatever did it, he's already gathering this huge following. And one by one by one, he takes care of everyone who was there. It had to have gone late into the evening. And so we see his priority. Jesus cares about people. Do you care about people? Neighbors, friends, family members. I I ask because we're about to go into the, we're leaving the Thanksgiving season. Don't quit being thankful. But we're leaving that season and we're going into Christmas. And Christmas ought to be about Jesus Christ. Do you love people in the midst of your busy decorating and food and family to talk about Jesus Christ? To share the Christ of what's going on here. What are your priorities? Do you truly want to help people and what they need? But the priorities don't stop there. In fact, they get even more important as we go through here. We go from people to prayer. Look at verse 35. And rising up very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now put that back into context. What was the Sabbath like for Jesus Christ? Early in the morning, immediately they got up, they went to the synagogue. They spent all morning at the synagogue. He casts out a demon in the synagogue. He goes to Peter and Andrew's home. He heals his mother-in-law who has a fever. They finish eating dinner. The sun goes down. And just as twilight begins setting in, the whole city's at his door. And one by one, he's touching out. He's reaching out. He's making a difference in people's lives. And then when it ought to be Monday, for him it's Monday, it's Sunday now. But you know, you look, for me that's Monday morning. Monday morning, don't look for me in my office at 8 o'clock. Monday morning is when I catch my breath. Now, I usually come in. I shouldn't have told you that because most of you think I take that day off. But I usually come in, but I come in about 9 or 10 o'clock. I come in because I'm just kind of catching my breath because ministry will wear you out sometimes. And here we have Jesus. He's ministered all night. It's like it should say in verse 35, and the next morning Jesus slept in and they brought him breakfast. Is that what it says? The next morning... And look how much it puts into this. Early in the morning, while it's still dark, he departed and went into a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus Christ put a priority on prayer in his life and ministry. 
Now, Mark's only going to talk about three different instances, but if we look through the Gospels, we see a lot more of the rest of the Gospels. But here, following the feeding of the 5,000, and in Gethsemane are the three times that Mark is going to talk about Jesus Christ praying. But here, it's here to teach us priorities in Jesus Christ's life and ministry. Jesus Christ rose up early in the morning while it was still dark. Why did he do that? Come daylight, what do you, what do you suspect is going to happen at the doorway? Everybody that got healed the night before is passing the news on. Jesus Christ healed everyone who showed up at the door. So if you've got an ailment, where are you going in the morning? And Jesus knew that life gets busy. A lot of us look and say, and somebody, how many of you, and I, and I, raise, I know you always look at me and you don't raise your hand and think, is this on tape? Somebody will see my hand go up. You know, how many of you are morning people? I know there's some of you out there. God bless you. I wish I was. I'm not a morning person. You know, without my coffee, I don't think I could get the engine revved at all in the morning and get moving and get going. But Jesus Christ, not just in the morning, but it says very early in the morning. He gets up and he does what? He goes to a solitary place. He's very, very intentional about his time in prayer. And too many times, prayer kind of becomes something we do as it kind of fits into our schedule. We pray during the day when something's going wrong. God, help me with this. Don't let that happen. We pray when somebody will get a hold of us. I'll get an email during the day and somebody will say, can you pray for this? And I usually try and stop and do it right then. And those are all good things. But as Jesus Christ was taking his quality time in prayer, he does it intentionally. He teaches us a few things about prayer here. Number one, he rose up very early in the morning while it was still dark because he wasn't going to start his day without prayer. And if you start your day without prayer... You're asking for trouble. As Christians, we ought to love that time. We ought to cherish that time in prayer. But we have to be intentional about it because you know what happens? There are days I think I'm coming in on Monday. Nobody will know I'm here. I'll get all kinds of stuff done. And guess what? Somebody comes in five minutes after I get here. And you know why? Because it's a divine appointment from God. He has something for us to do together. He has an opportunity for us together. But in the midst of that, if I wait till then to do my prayer, you know what happens? Well, I'll get it as soon as they leave. And as we're saying goodbye at the door, the phone rings. Or I get another email and something's going on. And the next thing I know, I'm getting to the end of the day. And what's happened to prayer time? I'll get it tomorrow. Jesus Christ isn't getting it tomorrow. He's getting up early in the morning. He's, while it's still dark, he's going, not only getting up early in the morning, but he departed and went to a desolate place. Why did he do that? That's a whole lot of extra effort, isn't it? Can't I just get up, grab a cup of coffee, and pray at the table in the morning? It was like being in Buffalo. My wife told me this. I didn't listen. I didn't listen. Now, you husbands never don't listen to your wives, do you? But she said, you know, I said, I'm going to work on my message while I'm there. And so I brought my, my, my laptop up in the morning, and I set it up on the table, and I got a cup of coffee. Toddlers don't sleep. I had I'd no longer set my coffee down. Then here's this little guy comes over there. Pops, can you play football with me? And then he smiles, these big eyes, and he smiles. I just love you, Pops. You know how much work on the sermon got done that morning? I'd hide in the basement to do it because I needed quiet time. When Jesus Christ looked at his prayer time, it was the same thing. He said, this is important enough that I'm going to intentionally go where I will not be disturbed. Is your prayer time important enough to go out of your way to not be disturbed? In our society, he said he went out to a desolate place. Maybe all you need to do is turn your cell phone off. 
Quit scrolling through stuff. Don't let it beep while you're praying. Concentrate on what you're doing. Go someplace where nobody's going to bother you because that's the time where you can spend time with your father in prayer. And it's critical. And it needs to be intentional. And it needs to be planned. Or it's not going to happen like it ought to happen. And that's what Jesus is teaching. And if Jesus had to do this, how much more so you or I? You know, make it intentional so you prepare for it. Don't go half awake. You know, if I'm going to do it early in the morning, I've got to get the coffee pot rolling first. Because I know if I don't get my coffee, I'm going to fall asleep in the middle of it. Don't let your mind wander. How many of you prayed in the middle of it, you start thinking about your to-do list for the day? Leave your to-do list somewhere else and get as far away as you can. Don't think about decorating, family, places you need to go, things you need to do. Concentrate on nothing but you and your relationship with God. When was the last time you did that? How long did it last? Hey, Mark doesn't get, Mark frustrates me a little because he doesn't give me any details. What did Christ pray that morning? I don't know. I'm sure he prayed about his ministry, about God's will in his life because that's how he teaches his disciples to pray. But... How long did he spend in prayer? I'm guessing a little while, because when did he go in the morning? He didn't go as the sunlight was coming up, so he could scoot out of there just before the first person got to the door. He went while it was still dark. Prayer was that important. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, shame on me, because I'm not a morning person. And to get up before dark to go to prayer, that's a wow, isn't that a little radical? You know when we left to go to Buffalo? Midnight on Monday night so we could beat the storm. I drove all night long in the, in the dark. I did that for vacation. How much more should we be doing that for time in prayer? And so prayer needs to be a priority in our lives. And Jesus Christ is teaching that. Make it quiet. Make it without distraction. Make it without interruptions. And it just says, and there he prayed. He got down to the business at hand. Jesus' entire ministry was about prayer. Though Mark doesn't give it to us, he prayed before his baptism in Luke. He prayed before calling the twelve, again in the Gospel of Luke. He prayed before feeding the multitude in John. He prayed at his transfiguration in Luke. He prayed before he raised Lazarus in John. He prayed in Gethsemane. He prayed while hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And all of these, and those are the times that we know about. A few of the times that we know about. Think about that. If Jesus Christ's whole life and ministry is revolving around prayer, what does your life revolve around? Sometimes it's our cell phone, our texts, our emails. Some of you are more savvy than me, and you've got all kinds of apps that you can communicate with. What should it be revolving around? We ought to be guarding our prayer time, looking at the importance of it. Why The importance of prayer, Jesus' example. Number two, we could take the rest of the time this morning. We won't, but look through the New Testament. How many times are we commanded to pray? Over and over and over again, because it's for our good. It's for our relational situation with God. It's for the power that we need. Prayer brings us into the perspective where we get our hearts set with the will of God. And that's what it's supposed to be. Thy will be done. Remember when Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's to teach us to align our will with his. Isn't that kind of the opposite of our prayer life sometimes? How many times do you go to prayer and you're trying to get God's will aligned with yours? God, here's my request. Now let me take five minutes to tell you why you need to do it this way. And we explain the story to God as if he doesn't know. 
Now, now you, you ought to be talking to God. Don't take it that way. But sometimes we're trying to convince God, you know, God, you need to do it this way. You need to heal this. You need to take care of this. I need this money, and I need it yesterday. So if you could take care of it this morning before I worry about it too much, that would be good. And take care of all of these things. And when we go to God, it's this list of telling God, God, it'd be better if you got on my page. When Christ is teaching us, we need to go to God and say, God, here's my needs, but your will, not my will, be done. Remember Gethsemane? When Jesus Christ went to prayer in Gethsemane, why did he go to prayer? He was about to go to Calvary. And again, theologians will speculate about all different things. I believe, as I look at that, a big part of that was Jesus Christ was looking at going to the place where God was going to make him for sin who knew no sin. He said, God, if that can pass from me. Yeah, he didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to die. But I think the thought of holding the sin of all mankind upon himself as he died was a heavy weight but yet at the end of all that he says what but not my will but yours be done do you realize when you tack that little phrase at the end of your prayer in jesus name amen that's what you're supposed to be saying lord i'm praying that you'll get jesus will done in my life amen and that's what our prayer ought to be like examples of the early church did the early church spend any time in prayer you know, and again, I just flipped through the book of Acts for 10 minutes when I was putting this together and found all these times. In the upper room, before the, after following the ascension of Jesus Christ, they were gathered together as a group doing what? Praying. And then the life of the early church, Acts 2.42, one of the key parts of their getting together time and time again was corporate prayer. They prayed together. And then after the persecution in Acts chapter 4, they got together and prayed for boldness. And then... When they were choosing the first deacons, they didn't have a popularity contest. They prayed about it. They said, God, who should we put in charge of taking care of these widows? And, and then further, in Acts chapter 12, Peter's imprisonment. They already took James and they, they slayed him with the sword. Now Peter's in prison. And so all of the people in the church said, we've got our rights. And they got signs out. And they said, free Peter. And they went to the jail. Let Peter go. Is that what they did? Sometimes as Americans, that's what we do. We hit the streets and we protest. They hit their knees and they prayed. Now they forgot that God answers prayer. They wouldn't let Peter in after God answered the prayer. He's at the door knocking. But they prayed and they prayed together. And then when they're sending off the first missionaries, Barnabas and and Paul in Acts chapter 13, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed together. I bring that up because... It breaks my heart when I look at the priority that Jesus Christ puts on prayer when I look at the church. I can't remember any church I've been in in the course of my life where the prayer meeting wasn't the poorest attendant meeting in the church. And I understand why some of that is. Some of you are all like, well, I don't pray eloquently, and it would be embarrassing. Eloquence isn't why we get together for prayer. If somebody's praying to impress the people around him, Jesus Christ had a lot to say about the Pharisee who did that in the, in, the, in the face of the public in there, and you can see what God thinks of that. Prayer is a time to get together and pour our hearts out before God as a group. Prayer is a time to get together as a group and remember one another. Prayer is a time to spend some time together and have our hearts knit together. You say, well, you know, it's kind of, you, you look at prayer meeting here at the church, and I hear you all break up into small groups, and that really puts me on the spot because I don't think I want to pray in public. And so we don't come. You know what happens in those small groups? It even happens with men. I've seen men get together and share prayer requests, and God bonds their hearts together. 
I've seen men in tears over what God's doing in their family or what they want to see God do in their family. And over the course of the week, can I be honest with you? We got a huge prayer list that we put out. You know the prayer requests that I remember more often than the others? It's a group of guys that I sat with on Sunday night because we shared our hearts and we prayed. And some of you have looked around and you've talked to me about the fact that, you know, it's so exciting to see new faces around here and people visiting in the church. And it's been a while. And you know who did that? I didn't do that. And if you think you did, I hate to burst your bubble. You didn't do that either. Jesus Christ is building this church and it's an answer to prayer. I remember after COVID, we had 30 people showing up for our services. And some of you were really nervous because you told me you were. God's going to shut our church down. And maybe he would if it's his church. But we got together and we prayed. And I prayed with some men. And you know what we prayed? God, do something that people look and say, that had to be the hand of God that did that. You know what? When God brought us people to the church, and we've got newer folks that are coming in that are excited about studying the word of God and excited about growing, and that's because God did something that only he can do. And he did it as an answer to prayer. That prayer service is so important. So... Why do we do what we do around here? I'm just going to take a second. Then I'm going to get back to the passage. But why are we here this morning? We get together on Sunday morning to worship, to praise, to hear the preaching of the word, to fellowship and encourage one another. And I love that about our church. You know, you all keep sticking around and about one o'clock, somebody look at me and say, do you really want to, would you like to go home? If I wanted to go home, I'd lock up and go home and leave you in here. You know, the doors have bars. You can get out. But it's exciting to see people fellowshipping and all this happening. That's Sunday morning. Sunday evening, we get together for prayer. And again, why do we do what we do? Partially because I grew up in churches where prayer meeting was like a mini Sunday morning service. We'd get together and we'd sing three or four hymns and we still sing, you know. Greg will pull get up here when he's, and he'll lead us in song. We'll sing. And, and then, then churches I was in before, you know, we'd have, have, a, have a devotional that usually went about 45 minutes. Service only one an hour, so we'd spend five minutes at the end of the service praying. And I'm like, that's not prayer meeting to me. So what do we do here? We sing a couple songs and we take prayer requests. We grab a pencil and we grab a sheet of paper or we grab one of the sheets that Renee's done for us out there with requests on it and we write the new request down and then we break off into groups and we spend the rest of the time in prayer. So you're like, oh, a half an hour prayer. I don't know if I can do that. You can do that. You know, and for some of us men who just we're getting older, we don't think as well. We would take times where we just have sentence prayers. We'll pray about whatever God's laid on our heart, and then we'll jump in five minutes later. And we'll pray about something else, and somebody will pray, and it'll it'll remind me of something, and I'll jump in and pray again. And there's there, there's no there's no uncomfortable feeling there. There's no oh it's my turn I gotta pray. And the exciting thing about it in the men's group, people want to pray. And sometimes, oh, it gets a little bit funny if I cut somebody off. There's nothing better than two men wanting to pray at the same time. That's exciting. So we do that because we need to pray. If God's going to do anything in our community, in our church, in our lives, it's going to be because of prayer. And we need to be a praying folks. And then Wednesday nights, we have our Bible study time. Because we're told we're supposed to. The early church did. And we get together as a group and we study. You know, Sunday morning, you don't get to say much. There's, there's a good reason for that. You know, we want to make sure it's from the, the word. We're preaching the word. We're preaching through. But on Wednesday night, we talk about things. We ask questions. Sometimes you ask me questions you shouldn't because I don't know the answer yet. But we'll find the answer together. And so we grow together on Wednesday nights. And so Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, it's not really there for, you know, most, some of us look at it like it's a smorgasbord. It's like the fellowship dinner. 
You know, we walk around and we say, oh, I like this casserole. Oh, I don't like that. So we look around and make sure the lady that made it doesn't see us. And we walk right by it, you know. And then we go to the next, oh, I like that. And then you get to the dessert table. I don't think any of you don't like desserts. You know, and we're all eating the desserts that we like. And sometimes we treat church like that. You know, well, I like Sunday morning because I like to sing. And, and I like to hear the preaching of the word. And I don't really have to get involved. I don't have to think about it too much. Just let the Lord speak to me. But Sunday night, you know, that's kind of a little uncomfortable because I don't want to have to pray in front of people. So I'll just let, I'll pray at home. The early church didn't do that. They got together. They prayed. Wednesday night, and I know Wednesdays are busy and we get tired. That's why we feed you all meals so you can sleep on a full stomach. But, you know, we we have a Bible study together. It's not a time where people are like, oh, I hope it's not a time where people are like, oh, I hate being here. I hope you love being here because we study the word together. And all of that works together in order for us to grow to be more like Christ. And when we're cutting parts of it out, we have to ask ourselves, why is that not a priority? Because prayer was a priority for Jesus Christ. Not for that advertisement. But I think it's important that we think about that. And then verse 36. And some of us are like Simon. Again, I like Simon Peter because he doesn't always get it right, but he keeps getting steered in the right direction. And look at verse 36. It says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. He got up while Simon was still sleeping. And what happened in the morning? Simon's going to tell. Everybody came to the house and Jesus wasn't there to heal them. So what do they do? They start looking around for Jesus Christ. And they're searching. And that idea of searching is the idea of hunting for, pursuing after. And why are they pursuing after Christ in the morning? Did they come because they got such great teaching on Saturday in the synagogue that they wanted more? No, they want something for themselves. They want to be healed. And so they're all looking into this, and they're looking for Christ. And it says in verse 37, and they found him and said to him, and it's probably Simon who said this, everyone's looking for you. Now, what do you think is the thought behind Simon's phrase, everyone's looking for you? Jesus is doing what? He's praying. He's asking for the power of God, I believe, on his ministry. The Spirit of God to continue working. And again, don't ask me to explain why the Son of God has to ask God for power. But he's, he does throughout his ministry. He asks God to work. And so you're looking at all this happening. And Simon comes to him. And he's almost rebuking him. You know, Simon gets a little bit too full of himself. You ever been there? And he looks at Jesus Christ and he says, They're all seeking for you. And the idea is, where do you think you're going? Look at all these people. And Simon's ready to bring in the kingdom. Don't forget that. So a grand following of people is perfect for what Simon's got planned. Christ is going to bring the kingdom in, throw out the Romans. And Christ is looking and said, that's not my ministry. And so you, you see all this. Is that everyone's looking for you. And how does Jesus answer in verse 38? What do you think Simon expected? Oh, sorry, Simon, I forgot. I was too busy praying. He wasn't too busy praying. The priority was where it needed to be. But Jesus looks at Simon, and he doesn't say, okay, let's go back down to the house and take care of this. What does he say in verse 38? And he said to them, let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. Jesus Christ stayed focused. His focus was on prayer. It was on people. It was on the preaching of the word. He said, I preached to these people on Saturday. They got the truth. He said, okay, let's pick it up. If we're going to go somewhere, we're going to go somewhere else where the truth hasn't been shared, and we're going to share the truth some more. And the rest of this... Next passage, uh, chapter or two, is about what Jesus Christ does is he does that because he came to preach the good news of the kingdom. Jesus said, here's my focus. Here's my priority. I'm going to preach about the gospel, that people need to get saved. And you think, but Jesus, you could have had a mega church. Everyone that you're, everyone that you're healing, they're going to keep on coming. That Peter's got this vision. And Jesus said, that's not my vision. And I, again, I say that because... 
Jesus does take time for people. Jesus cares about people and their needs. But is that Jesus' primary mission? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to preach the gospel. And so I can't get caught up in all this other stuff. I can't get mixed up. When it's time, I will do these things. As it authenticates the word of God, I will heal and I will cast out demons. But my primary mission is to preach the word. And guess what? Your primary mission is not to do benevolent work out in in the community. Not that you can't. Not that it's not a good thing. Your primary mission, it's Christmas. I'm going to really get myself in trouble now, okay? But your primary mission is not to pack Christmas shoeboxes. And I say that because there are churches that that's all they're thinking about this season. We've got to get the shoeboxes out. We've got to get the food pantry ready. We've got to take care of all these things. And Jesus looked at people and said, the poor you'll have with you always. Not that you shouldn't take care of them, you should. But he said, the mission, my mission is to preach to the lost, and your mission is the same. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority, that's what Mark has demonstrated, all authority is given unto me, and what did he say? This is what I want you to do. He didn't say, work in the food pantry, although you could do that on your own time. He didn't say, pack shoeboxes. He didn't say, take care of this or that need in the community. He said, all authority is given unto me, so you go. And you make disciples. You share the gospel with all nations. You baptize them. You disciple them. You teach them to do all things. That's our mission. Over Christmas time, do something nice for somebody. Take care of somebody in need. That's all wonderful stuff. But don't forget your mission. Because too often as a church and as Christians, we feel so good about the fact that we did something for somebody else, we don't give them Christ. We don't give them the gospel. And that's what we're here for. And as as a church, as we go forward, my prayer is, God, don't let us get so sidetracked with doing good things that we don't do the mission. He gave us one mission. Preach the gospel. Disciple people. That's why we get together on Sunday morning. That's why we pray on Sunday nights. That's why we study the word on Wednesday night. Because it's about the gospel changing lives, growing in Jesus Christ, and then going out and doing it again. That's our mission. Don't lose focus of the mission. Jesus could have lost focus. He could have had the greatest healing ministry ever, and he did. But he had it in balance because, yeah, here's my mission. My mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to give my life a ransom for many. And though he did wonderful things for people along the way, he never lost focus of the mission. What do we do with all this? We're supposed to do the next 10 verses. We're not going to get there. What do we do with all this? Number one, can I ask you to take some time? Driving gave me a lot of time. You know, I had to stay awake all night. My wife didn't. So I'm sitting in the driveway. You know what I began doing? I said, God, what are my priorities? Not what do I think they are. When I look at the way I spend my time, what are my real priorities? And do they line up with yours? Are they about people who are in need? Are they about prayer? Are they about preaching the word? Or have I gotten sidetracked in other good things? We need to evaluate our priorities to find out where we are. We talked about that with Proverbs. You need to look in the mirror and say, God, where am I? Now, where's my wife? Now, where's the guy sitting across the pew from me? Where am I when it comes to my proper priorities? Number two, we need to remember that interruptions in our day may be God's divine appointments. Even if it's your mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. And God, Jesus Christ, stops everything to work with one person who is in need. We need to, as well, make prayer a priority in our lives. Can I encourage you, if you're not doing it already, do it early 
and get someplace where nobody's going to interrupt you. And again, we were told how long Jesus spent prayer. Start with some time. Make prayer a priority. You know what I'd really love to see? I'd love to see as many people here on a prayer meeting night as we got here on a Sunday morning. You want to do something for your pastor? That's the most exciting thing. When I see people show up on a Wednesday night and a Sunday night, my heart just thrills because God's working in lives. And maybe I should more, but you usually won't get a phone call from me saying, oh, you didn't make it to prayer meeting. Where were you? Because I can browbeat you and try to get you here, but until you come because you want to be here because it's your priority, it won't change your life. But if you make your priorities with Jesus Christ's priorities, it'll make us more like Christ and it'll change our lives. And then never lose focus on our mission. There are so many good things that we can do. There's so many good things that churches can do. But God gave us one mission. One mission. Give out the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples. Who was the last person you shared your testimony with? Christmas season is a great time to share Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for a brief look into a busy day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And most of all, we thank you for the priorities of life and living that we can take out of that passage and apply to our own lives. He was the Son of God. He was the God-man. And yet he left us a model that is what we need to live successfully for him. So God, I pray that you'll help us to evaluate our priorities Lord, I pray that you'll help us to look at our time in prayer and our time in sharing the truth with others. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to make the changes necessary to have the priorities in our lives that match up with the priorities of our Savior. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.